We just love you, Lord. We have decided to follow you because you've proven your love to us, Lord. You have showered us with your love. And God, as Steve comes now, would you just speak through him? Would you shower us with your truth, God? Would you tear open the curtains that kind of cloud our eyes and, and keep our ears from hearing you, God? Just just break through, Jesus. Holy Spirit, and only the way you can, only you can. Well, we're trusting you for it. Amen. You guys may be seated. We've all faced one, a threshold, a point of decision, a moment of choice. Do we stay or do we go? What awaits us on the other side? Will we cross the line from guilt to freedom, fear to faith, from doubt to trust, from darkness to light, from death to life? So you're here at the threshold. What will you do? Uh, good morning. Uh, we just want you to kind of, as we jump into this, this uh, series on Esther, realize that every one of you today is facing decisions that uh, every single one of us makes them. Some of them really kind of maybe insignificant, we think. Some of them huge. And uh, I need to move back. And, um, and so we face these decisions in our lives. And, and as I said in the first service, I was kind of debating again about this decision. But the first thing I need to do is just uh, wish my wife a happy anniversary. We have our 35th anniversary tomorrow. So it's been, she's been amazing to put up with me through all these years. And, and I've asked several people if I have to get her something or not. I don't know. The answer to that. So, if you got any good advice, uh, some I've gotten her some cool gifts through the years. A chainsaw was one of her favorite, and uh, for Mother's Day, I got her an electric fence. So, as you can tell, she's not really the flower kind of girl. Uh, so, but anyway, it's been a fun adventure, and, and I think that you know, just those decisions, even like that, to 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 say what's on our heart, um, we all face, and sometimes these decisions are like life-changing, huge decisions. Sometimes they're just little, seemingly uh, insignificant decisions. But, but really, uh, I, I really want us to think about this book of Esther today, and we're just going to kind of look at an overview. But bring it back into your own, into your own wheelhouse, into your own lap, and, and, and really ask yourself, do you make choices based on how they affect you? Is that the primary reason you make decisions, how they affect you, how they affect um, and maybe it's, it's, it's something that your body craves, you know, less of the flesh or something more you think you need, less of the eyes, or maybe it's your image, maybe it's your, you're somehow going to be more accepted, or you compare with others, and now I feel better because you make decisions. Is that how you make primarily uh, these big decisions, these little decisions in life? Because I know oftentimes that's how we, uh, we land, and we make decisions primarily on what it does for me, what it does for those around me. And how it affects my reputation and my money and my stuff and my career. And it's really for my sake. As Christians, as believers, if we know Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. There's kind of a little bit of anxiety there when we make decisions like that. There's a little bit of doubt there. It kind of makes us pause a little bit. It makes us kind of stop and just think, am I really making the best decision if I'm just making it based on how it affects me? 
And, and, and you see, we have that option to constantly choose and surrender to Christ or to just go our own way. And so today in this, this, this book, the theme of the summer really as we're looking at Esther is if I perish, I perish. And, and Esther had to make some big decisions, willing to risk her life for her people. And, uh, and so I, I think that so often we, we're afraid to, to make decisions based on surrendering what we would consider our life. Uh, and, and you think physical life, maybe, but uh, we're afraid to, f- to surrender our, our stuff because we think that's where we get our life. We're afraid to surrender our money because we get our life. We're sur- afraid to surrender our reputation, what other people think of us, because that's where we get our life. And, and yet, uh, we can walk through life and just make decisions based on how it affects me. And, and there's this whole other aspect of life that so many of us miss, and I know oftentimes I do, where there's this, this grand adventure of making decisions based on uh, how it affects Christ and making decisions on really for Christ's sake rather than my sake. And how all of a sudden it sets us free then to just walk with him. And we, we get to experience really life as it's designed. Rather than uh, life which can be really quite, I think, boring. When you start just making decisions for yourself. Start surrendering to the spirit. You know, it's like God gives us just a little glimpse into the darkness. And we kind of take a little step into the darkness. But he doesn't really give us this long, clear path of what's next. And we, of course, want to go by sight and see this long, clear path. And so we always, it's easier to kind of make decisions on the physical. But when we make decisions on the spiritual, it's like this grand adventure of, okay, God, what are you going to do next? Are you real? Are you going to move? Are you here? Are you really in my life? Are you really active? Are you really in control? And all of a sudden we see that he is. And it's so thrilling and it's so exciting that it's something that we just miss. And, And so if your life's kind of boring, Maybe evaluate why you're making decisions. Maybe you're just making them trying to hold on to the stuff of this world rather than just really open hands uh, and trusting Christ. And so often we're not even aware of God moving in our lives until we get off. And then we have this little doubt or this little, I, I call it, I get disturbed, you know, and then all of a sudden we, we realize he's moving. And so I think as we start this, I just want you to think about what you're afraid of. And I'll, t- and I, and I'll just kind of give a broad brush, I think so often what we're afraid of is we're afraid to trust God. We're afraid to trust God. You know, we think um, that we know what's best. And we think that we can control our world. And we think we can make decisions based on on, uh, what we see and what we have for common sense. And there's like this fear to trust that God is really real, that he is really here, that he really is in control. But when we take those steps to trust him, it's amazing. It's almost like, rather than common sense, it's almost like an uncommon sense. Okay? It's not common that people just live their lives sold out, trusting that God is going to be who he says he is. But when we do that, we get this incredible freedom, this incredible peace. Okay? And so that's really what I want us to think about as we kind of come to these, the, this book. And we're just going to take a broad overview today, and then we're going to look at it. Uh, book by book as we go through the summer, uh, or chapter by chapter as we go through the summer. But just realize as you're making these decisions that you have a choice, and we'll try and illustrate that as best as we can through the story today, that you have a choice to choose to just make decisions based on how they affect you or to surrender to Christ and and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do and make yourself known. And it's amazing the opportunity we have. Realize, first of all, that God is involved in your life. 
He's involved in your life. Uh, in the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned, and there's no doubt that he's present all through the book. And even though God may seem distant to you, maybe he may seem invisible to you, um, he is always present and he's always invincible in your life. He is here. He's not silent. Just know that. You may not think God is working. You may not feel like God is working. You may not see God working, but he is. He's working in your lives. Matthew Henry said of the book of Esther, though the name of God is not mentioned in the book, the finger of God is directing many minute events for the bringing about of his people's deliverance. And, and I just want to start with that because I think it's important for every one of us to get that, that God is the main character of your life. Okay, you just think you are. Okay? And you look at me like you, are, like you don't, but, but you just think you are. I'm telling you, God is the main character of your life. Uh, Oswald Chambers kind of says it like we act like pagans in, in a crisis and there's only one out of an entire crowd that's daring enough to invest his faith in the character of God. Are you that one that's willing to invest your faith in the character of God, who he says he is? And when you do, it'll absolutely blow you away what God does and who he is. And so that's, that's really my desire is that we would walk away with just this strong, strong sense of being able to make decisions based on uh, following the Spirit rather than just on what I think is best. And it's, it's amazing, uh, the difference. So as you think about this, as we go through this book, just ask yourself, what, what decision is God challenging you to make? Okay? Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Esther. Um, it's, you know, if you want to go to the middle, if you want to throw to the Psalms and go backwards uh, before Job, you'll hit Esther, a couple books before Psalms. And uh, as I said, if you get it on your phone or your iPad, you don't have to go to Psalms first. You can just up in Esther, and you'll go right there. It's amazing. Uh, and so, uh, sorry, just little computer tips. Um, <laughs> the book of Esther, chapter 1, kind of starts this way. It took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which is in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, for the army officers of Persia, for the officers of Meda, for the nobles, and for the princes of his province. They were all in his presence. Father, we just come today, and, and I just pray that you would just, um... God, I just don't have much today. I just don't have anything to offer, and, and that's really good, because you do. And so I just ask that you would just speak, um... To, to each one of us by the power of your spirit and that you would just get the glory and you would get the honor for what you do in our lives. And God, I pray that we would be that, that one in the crowd that just stakes our life, stakes our faith, stakes our decisions, stakes our walk on you and the character of who you are. And we'll just uh, walk away just blessed and amazed at how great you are. In Jesus' name. So if you kind of get a sense, you know, we're going to look at the history of, of the book, but then we're also going to kind of look at the symbolism, some of the symbolism behind the book of Esther. And, and really, if you get a sense of historical setting, remember David kind of put together the, the kingdom of Israel, a lot of battles to, to bring that about, and then his son Solomon reigned, and Solomon had this time of peace. And um, Solomon was incredibly wise, but uh, he got kind of taken away and uh, distracted by women and horses and uh, wealth. Not that that ever happens. 
But uh, it happened to him, and it happens still today. And there was this judgment that came on the kingdom, and, and the kingdom split, and the north was called Israel, the south was called Judah. The armies of Assyria kind of came in, and they judged Israel. About 100 years later, Judah was overrun. About 600 B.C., actually 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he deports the king of Judah to Babylon. Okay, so we're like 600 years, 600 B.C. It's kind of that picture then when that happened. So then in 586, he comes back, Nebuchadnezzar, and Jerusalem's destroyed, and the Jews are in captivity, and that's when Daniel and his buddies are, are taken into captivity, if you study the book of Daniel. And uh, about 539 B.C., Babylon falls to the Persians. And so that's kind of the process. So the Babylonians came, overrun Jerusalem. They take the Jews captives, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, several years later, uh, 50 about, the, the, um, the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians. So then you come along in about 485 B.C., and there's this king named Ahasuerus, and he becomes the king over this empire. That's really kind of the time of the book of Esther. So the Jews are living in exile. It's been probably 100 years since they've been deported after Jerusalem fell, and, uh, and, and they're struggling along. But it's important for us to realize that God has not forgotten his chosen people. Even though it seemed like he did, even though it seemed like they were on their own, even though it seemed like there was no hope that God wasn't moving, God was moving all along through this whole time. And so just kind of to give you a story, just a broad story of the book of Esther, and I would encourage you just to read through the book. It's fun to just read it in one setting. But uh, just to give you kind of a story um, of the book, you know, Ahasuerus is the king, as we said, and his top guy was Haman. Haman. And Haman, and uh, he's the top guy, right? And he's a, he's a, he's a bad guy. He's, he's uh, uh, a wicked guy. He hates the people of God. And we'll see that all through this book. Vashti's the queen. She disobeys the king. There's some people there who have kind of uh, soft egos, and, and they end up uh, disposing her as queen, and they look for a new queen. And as they find this new queen, they choose Esther. And Esther comes on the scene as the queen to Ahasuerus. Now, Esther was an orphan. Uh, she was Jewish. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai raised her as his own daughter and took care of her. And so she comes into the palace as the queen. Now Haman, okay, is the, is the top guy, and he hates the Jews. And basically, uh, Haman is given the place where people were to bow to him, but Mordecai had never bowed to him. Um, and uh, because uh, Haman was prideful and arrogant, and, and Mordecai bowed before the true God of the universe. So Haman hated him, but not only did he hate Mordecai, but he hated all the Jews, so he wanted to kill them all. And, and basically what happened was uh, Mordecai is not in the palace, and he discovers this plot to, over to kill the king, and he makes the king aware, and they come in and they save the king. Uh, and so the king wants to honor him, and he chooses Haman to honor him, his top guy, to, to honor Mordecai. So that's kind of this process, and Haman hates Mordecai, he wants to kill him, so he, he makes these galleys to kill him, to hang him on that. And uh, ultimately, uh, he uh, is, is confronted by Esther, who takes this choice to put her own life uh, on the line for her people. And she goes before the king, and she ends up saving uh, the kingdom, and also exposing Haman and his wickedness, and ultimately Haman is hanged on those gallows, and Mordecai moves into the palace. And, and um, 
it's amazing then how God uses that to change history, but how he also uses it really to save his people, okay? So that's kind of a broad, just a broad, broad sense of the book of Esther. And we're going to look kind of at the characters of the study and really kind of look at the allegory behind it. Uh, Ian Thomas wrote a book, um, If I Perish, I Perish, where he kind of looked at the symbolism behind the, the historical events. And I love the Old Testament. I love the scriptures, just kind of the picture of what God always is giving us through his temple and through worship and, and how it ties into the to New Testament and into our lives, these symbols. And it really helps us kind of unlock the message. So we're going to look at history, yes, and we're going to go through the book, and we're also going to look kind of at the symbols of it and see how that can kind of uh, play into our lives moment by moment, day by day. Okay? So uh, hopefully it's a good adventure for you all, and hopefully you kind of start by really making it just really personal to yourselves and think about the decisions you make and see if maybe as you look at these characters and who they represent potentially that maybe they can help us make decisions in our lives that we're facing this this week and this day so the very first person we look at is the king Ahasuerus and uh, the king's over 127 provinces he, he reigned from 486 BC to 465 BC uh, one of the most powerful men on earth at the time and uh, you can tell how, how prevalent and how important it is to be one of the most powerful men on earth because I'm sure every one of you woke up today thinking about a hazardous, right? Not really, okay? And that's the truth about power of this earth. It's very fleeting. It's very temporary. And, but he was like this incredible, uh, powerful king. He was over all these providences. But Ahasuerus is a good picture of the soul of man the soul of a woman, that part of us that's our true self, that part where we think with our mind, where we feel with our emotions, where we make choices with our will. And he's a good picture of that, and I'll see if we can't explain that in some form. But just think about, here's this king in the palace, and he's making decisions. And he's issuing these laws and sending out these decrees. And guess what? They impact the whole kingdom. And the kingdom is represented as the body of a man or a woman, okay? The body, the physical body. And so you have in the palace these decisions made and that impacts the whole kingdom, right? And that's what happens really with us as we live our lives. We make decisions in our mind based on kind of what we feel oftentimes, and then we make these choices, and that impacts how we live our lives and what we do with our bodies and what we pick up and what we choose to leave and, and where we go. And, and all these things are impacted by uh, what's going on in our soul, what we're thinking and what we're feeling, what we're choosing, and that plays out into how we live our lives. That's the, the picture here, is we have this king making decisions which impact the kingdom. We have the soul making decisions which impact the body. Make sense? Now, one of the key guys in the, in the picture here is, uh, is his Haman, and uh, he represents the flesh. Haman, the flesh, okay? There's like this enmity with God. There's this... This, this kind of separation from God, this whole sense of trying to get all your needs met apart from God, this unredeemed kind of humanity that never improves. The flesh will never, ever, ever improve, okay? So if you're trying to overcome some flesh patterns or trying to overcome some certain things in your flesh, you will not do it by trying to clean up the flesh and improve the flesh. It never improves. Haman is a wicked guy, okay? He, he's bent on death. He hates the people of God. 
and it comes all the way back from his roots, go back clear to Esau, and, and we'll look at that over the coming months, but, but it goes all the way back, and it comes all the way through to Herod trying to kill all the babies when Jesus was born. Okay, the same line. They hate the people of God. They hate the things of God. That's Haman. And Haman's like wealthy. He's, he's, he's influential. He's like deeply entrenched in this palace. And, and so he has the king's confidence. The king moves him to the top job. He's like his top advisor. Everyone has to bow to Haman. He has access to the king. So guess what? He impacts the king's thinking, which molds the king's decisions, which then impact the whole kingdom. And Haman is this prideful guy. So you get this picture. You have this guy, this wicked guy against God, against the things of God, talking to the king, impacting the king, influencing the king. And whether it's true or whether it's lies, what you believe is true and you act on uh, is what impacts the body. And that's our story as it begins. You have kind of the wrong man in the palace influencing the king and thus influencing the kingdom. Okay? Then a guy comes on the scene, Mordecai. Mordecai names little man or man in his humility, and he represents the Holy Spirit. Okay? He represents the Holy Spirit. And, and the story begins where Mordecai is outside the palace. Okay? He has no access to the king. He has no influence over the king. He, he doesn't impact the king's thinking at all. Uh, the king is totally dependent on, on Haman and on, on himself and what he thinks is best. And Mordecai is outside the palace. And thus the kingdom is impacted not by Mordecai, but by Haman and by the king. Okay? And that's how our story begins. Now Mordecai comes and he refuses to bow to Haman. He refuses to bow. And so Haman hates him and all the Jews. But it's like this picture Paul gives us in Galatians, right? The flesh desires, sets his desires against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Right? They're opposites to one another. Okay? And the, the reason why is so you don't do the things you please. Right? There's like this battle going on. The spirit is the enemy of the flesh. It's important for us to realize that. So as our story begins in the book of Esther, when you take the symbolism and the allegory, basically what you see is, is you see like a person in their fallen condition. They don't know Christ as Savior. They do not have the Holy Spirit to influence them. So guess what everybody's doing? Making decisions that they think are best for their sake. That's their only choice. And they're making decisions, and their thoughts are influenced by their flesh, Okay, by that part of us that's unredeemed, that we've lived our life trying to get our needs met apart from God, and that's impacting how we act and impacting what we do and how we live our lives. And as we come up to each and every decision, apart from having the Holy Spirit in us, that's what we have for an option, to make decisions based on what I think is best, whatever's going to serve me. And that's really the picture here because Mordecai represented by the Spirit, is outside of the palace, okay? So Esther comes along, and she becomes queen, and Esther means star. Hadessah's her Hebrew name, and, and, and Esther's orphaned, as I said, and she's raised by her cousin Mordecai, raised him kind of as his own daughter. And she's this picture of the human spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so all of a sudden, when, when Esther comes into the palace, now she brings in this whole other aspect of Mordecai. And he ends up ultimately in the palace, which we'll talk about here in a second. But just realize something. You're in a battle. Right now, in your life. And it's a battle like this one that's going on in this kingdom. It's a battle between God and Satan, and we know God wins. It's a battle between good and evil. It's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. So every decision you make, you're in a battle. And oftentimes we don't stop and think about that, okay? We don't stop and realize that we have this battle going on, and we have an enemy who hates us and who wants to destroy us and is against the things of God. And we have this incredible, all-powerful, all, uh, uh, amazing God who allows us to just rest in him. <clears throat> Haman is wicked. His way is the way of death. He hated the Jews. He's from Esau. He rejected God's ways of grace. He despised God's birthright for him. He wanted to go his own way. He wanted to earn God's favor. And as you read through the book of Esther, you'll see over and over and over what Haman does is he hates the Jews. He hates the people of God. That's the truth of the battle that goes within us. Okay? And, and, and we were designed for this relationship with God. We're designed to know him, to have him live in us and through us. And we're designed to be in unity with Almighty God, but it's destroyed because of sin, and there's death, and there's separation. And the truth is, apart from Christ, we're dead to the things of God. We're just alive to the things of this world. We're dominated by the flesh. That's all we know. And so the story begins with the wrong man in the palace and the right man outside the palace. And that's the story of our lives. That's the story of our lives on this earth. We're born in sin. We sin. We live in sin. We try and meet our needs apart from God. We walk in the flesh. We don't walk in the spirit. We don't know God. We're separate from God. And the only hope in this story is to completely change the government. To get the wrong guy out and the right guy in. So that the right guy can influence the king, which then influences the kingdom. And it's the same for you and I. Our only hope is not to try and reform our flesh. The hope is not to try and reform Haman. Okay? The hope is to rely on the Spirit, to get the Spirit within. It's this picture of the gospel. Christ came and he died for your sin. He rose from the grave. He lived so that he can live within us. We can have this relationship with God. He can, he can indwell us. He can empower us. We can choose to surrender to him. And as we surrender to him and let him influence our thoughts, let him influence our emotions, let him influence then our choices, which then influence how we live our lives. The hope is that we surrender to him and we get the right person, the Holy Spirit, the power of God that we rely on. Does that make sense? So Esther comes before the king. Haman's in power. Mordecai's outside. She doesn't know if the king will even receive her. And if you go before the king without him receiving you, you die. And she chooses to surrender even potentially her life for her people. And she goes before the king, and the king reaches out a scepter to her and receives her. And ultimately, she exposes the flesh. She exposes this wicked Haman. 
and uh, ultimately he's killed and Mordecai comes in and he's the one who influences the kingdom and so as we as we kind of land this thing and make it really personal today realize that Esther surrendered herself and her ways for God's ways and she found peace and she found freedom and she found life have you done Have you surrendered your ways for God's ways? That's where you find life. That's where you find peace. And it's not just a one-time thing, okay? It's this joyous, moment-by-moment, day-by-day walk. And we have the option to surrender to Christ and allow Him to live through us and to walk in the Spirit with each decision that we're forced to make. And we realize that God is involved in these decisions, but it really gets to the place of kind of holding all these things real loose. All the things that we think uh, give us life and setting us free then to realize that true life only comes from Christ. And as we surrender our stuff, as you surrender your reputation, as you surrender what others think of you, it's amazing what the Spirit can do in your life. And so I'm trusting that you're facing decisions. Some of you are facing huge decisions. I've even heard between services about people facing huge decisions. And and you have the choice. Are you going to live by faith, which is really the Christian life? It's not by sight, but it's by faith or not. Um, It's a wonderful opportunity that every one of us has. You see, we're not even aware often that God is guiding, but we know when we get off his path because there's this doubt. I I call I get disturbed in my spirit. And I know that I just have to wait until I get peace. So just know, as we look at this book, and we're going to unpack it kind of chapter by chapter as we go, and we can get a picture here that's very applicable to our lives. And so I, I just challenge you as we go forth in this week that you would just pause as you're making these decisions just stop as you're making these decisions just for a moment and surrender to christ and ask the spirit to speak to you and to lead you and to guide you and open up your hands and say god i'm willing to do whatever you want me to do i don't know how that looks but you know i don't know god i know how it looks if i make decisions on my own but i want to make decisions for christ's sake for your glory and 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 so I, i i just challenge you to to realize that you're at the threshold And you get to choose this day whom you will serve. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Esther. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for her physical life and her time in history where she chose to surrender herself for the people of God. And I pray, God, that would be us in our lives at this time. That each person in here would make that choice to surrender their life for Christ's sake. And that we would make our decisions not based on our flesh, not based on what we see, not based on what we think is best, but instead based on surrendering to the Spirit and the surrendering to your Word. And that you would just allow us the incredible adventure of walking with you moment by moment, day by day. And we'll just give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close today uh, with communion. And... uh, We invite you to join us in communion if you're part of the the family of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
If you're part of his church, we invite you to join us in communion. And uh, what we're going to do... Oh, it didn't... There it is. There, that's my buzz. I like it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think that's... I, I'm kind of deceived. I thought that was just the spirit moving, but... But instead, it's not. It's just Tom and technology. And anyway, uh, but we're going to celebrate communion. And so the way we're going to do this, though, is today is just as Trevor's going to play for us. And we just invite you to kind of come up and then you'll be dismissed and come up just as you feel led and, and, and take the, the elements and, and celebrate. And, but really, give yourself a chance to think about this. This is something that that Christians have done for over 2,000 years. People all over the world are celebrating together in the body of Christ with communion. It's this incredible, incredible picture of what God has done for us. It's the reason why we can walk in the Spirit. The reason why we can can get to know God is because of, of what Christ has done for us. And Jesus, before he died, as he gathered together his his disciples and and he gathered together, and, and, he, and he encouraged him, as you take this, this bread, to remember me. It's, it's remember my body that's going to be broken for you. And so I just encourage you, as you take this bread, as you take this cracker, to just think about the fact that Jesus Christ was killed for you. He died for your sin, not for his. He didn't have any. He was crucified on that cross for you to pay the price for your sin and for mine. And so as you come forth, don't just dismiss that, but instead take a minute and just think about what an incredible God we have that would die for you. Afterward, then he took the cup of the wine and Reminded him of his new covenant. Reminded them as they gathered together, remember this covenant. Reminded him that not only was he going to die, but that he was going to live. And what's most incredible about this God is he's alive. And he lives. And, and, and we're under this covenant of grace. We're not trying to earn God's favor to be okay with God or to have him with us. He's with us through Jesus Christ. We can make decisions on the Holy Spirit by relying on the Holy Spirit because Christ is alive. And because he lives, and he lives within each one of us. So as you take the cup, realize that it's this incredible picture of the covenant. This new covenant. This covenant of his grace. This undeserved favor that we get to celebrate. And we can make decisions today relying on Christ in us. Because Jesus Christ died. And he rose from the grave. And he lives. Father, I pray your blessing on each person here. I pray that you would just pour out on them, that they would get an incredible sense of who you are, and that you would just overwhelm each and every one of us with the sense of your spirit. For those who don't know you, may this be a time where they can stop and reflect and open their hearts to you and ask you to come into their lives, ask you to be their Savior, ask you to be their Lord. And for every single one of us who knows you as Savior and Lord, may we just allow this time be an opportunity to to surrender to you and make decisions uh, based on your spirit living through us and just use us for your glory. May, May we be the one in the crowd that lives our lives on the faith of Almighty God and on your character. Amen.
Thanks, guys.